there's the fear of being ordinary and average, which I get that. I refuse to be average. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> well, why would you want I know, to fit I know. in when you're born to stand out? It, like, uh, look at you with the quote. That is a quote from Camp Rock. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure. Isn't that from like Camp Rock? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Doesn't Joe say that? Someone says that in Camp Rock, and I have. We need a post- to look this up. I have a poster of it I on there. Demi Lovato has signed it herself. Oh yes, what? <laughs> Hey there, gals. Hey there, gals. And welcome back to another episode of The Gals Guide. Welcome back. So it's officially March. It's my birthday month. Oh my God. It is time for the Aries to come and play. It's still Pisces season right now. They can go on with their bad self. Oh my God. It is my turn. <laughs> the emotional crying fishes of the world can just... They need to just like swim on. <laughs> Get rid of the ram. Come on, because the ram is coming. Oh my god. <laughs> it's fire, but that's very violent. I'm so excited. I'm going to be 26. It's not that great. And I have to buy my own health insurance. Yep. I'm so excited. Yep. Yep. It's not that great after 25, I promise you. It's really not enjoyable. It just kind of goes downhill. Yeah, it really does. Honestly, I turned 27 this year. I'm not looking forward to it. Wow, you're so old. Fuck you. <laughs> I'm not old. <laughs> I am not old. I am still under the year of 30. There you so, go. It's so weird. I've been talking to this guy who's 34, and that which is like, the, I know it's not old, but it's the oldest I've ever dated. You're just, you crack me up though because you're like, I like dating younger guys. And then you're like, I'm talking to a 34 year old. And I'm like, wait, what? I'm so confused. I normally do like younger guys though, just because, I don't know, the experience I've had with older guys, they are very more judgmental. Yeah. Because we like, it's like, oh, I have years above you. I'm like, no, fuck you. You're still a dumbass. Okay? Yeah, true. I'm still smarter than you, probably. <laughs> no, younger guys, they like worship me, kind of. They're like, oh my God, like I'm dating an older girl. Like, it's so cool. I'm so cool. And so, yeah, that's kind of why. Uh, and they, they keep me young. <laughs> You're one of those. They keep me young. No wrinkles here. <laughs> But I feel like my maturity level is probably on their level more than it is. I feel immature sometimes when I'm with older guys. Yeah. Uh, because, like, my sense of humor and stuff like that, I feel like, is of, like, my age or a little bit younger. And, like, if I'm with somebody who is, like, 34, like, I feel sometimes I'm like, mm, I feel like I have to be cooler, more composed. Yeah. More mature. Than your rad self. Than my, you know... My fucking awesome Your self. Your humorous self. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I have to hide my inner self, uh, which, I mean, I do regardless. Red flag. <laughs> <laughs> Be true to who you are. Didn't we just talk about self-love? I literally always, I mean, and like I said in that episode, I literally am always like 80% around guys. Like I'm never 100% myself. That is my challenge To for go you. on this date with this mm-hmm. 34-year-old. 34-year-old to be 100% yourself <laughs> and just see how it goes. I mean, it's meant to be. It's he meant knows. To be. We have mutual friends. Well, then he'll know how you are. They don't really even know how I am because they're all guys. Okay. Okay. Well, I challenge you. Let us know how it goes. Oh, God. Give us the tea. We're supposed to go get coffee. I don't drink coffee. Just get an iced vanilla latte. I'll just get hot chocolate. Just get a hot chocolate. <laughs> That's me and my authentic self. There you go. Yes. He's going to think of a child. Who cares? <laughs> He's probably a child. Fair enough. I guess. <laughs> 
I would hope not at 34 years old, though. You never know. Who knows? We'll see. We'll see. There's other there's other men in the works, though. They are also my age. Some are younger. You know what we should do sometime? What? Have you ever seen that meme where it's like the spinner of fast food restaurants? No. And you spin it, and that's where you go to dinner? We should put all of the men that you're talking to on a spinner and just <laughs> spin the spinner and see who it lands on, and then that's who you have to go out on a date with. That honestly would probably make so many more <laughs> decisions easier. Just like put him on a spinner. Like just put him on a spinner. Just be like, okay, today's the day. And then just spin it. And there you go. Like there's decision made. I think. No going back. What did I say? Like three guys right now that I'm like interested in? We can make a three spinner. A pyramid? A triangle? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> so a triangle? No. A circle with just like three pie chunks. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> we'll just split it into thirds. I don't know. I'm exhausted. It's 930, 9.30 a.m. <laughs> PM, PM, fam. Yeah, there's like three guys I'm interested in right now that I'm, you know, so many men, so many guys on my in my DMs all the time, you know, that I'm trying to like decipher between. So that honestly would help my life and make it a lot more interesting. Let's do it. Okay. I'll do it with food. I told you that I wanted with healthy food. I wanted to print out every guy, a photo of every guy I have like dated, been with, whatever, and arrange them. From, like, the least attractive to the most attractive. And just see. The so, progression. I won't. Like, you've you made progress? <laughs> <laughs> no, because I remember. We say with a question mark. No, because, granted, I already know who the hottest guy I've ever dated. And I went on one date with him. And, sadly, it's because he lives all the way in Canada. Yeah, so that's not going to work yeah, out. Yeah, he lives Unless only in Vancouver. Unless you move to Canada. Yeah. Which, which doesn't... At this point, um, I'm not. I'm losing insurance in August, so it doesn't sound like a total loss if I was to move to Canada. Wow, we're both losing insurance in 2020. Yep. That's so fun. So fun, fun. Love I it. love this. And, you know. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways. With all of that, though, I really want to do that, and I will TikTok my results. Please TikTok the results. <laughs> And then I'll comment FYP because apparently that means that you are on somebody's for you page. Yeah, which it's is good. Which is good. Yeah. <laughs> no, definitely. I've I have had a second video go viral on TikTok. I've so. had zero. It's just it's just luck, honestly. It, the algorithm I think is it's just luck because those the ones I never think are gonna go viral because I don't do anything special. Like yeah, I just I mean they're funny. The, the that one do. that you did about the last five years was funny. Oh, the marriage story mm-hmm. in the last five years? Because mm-hmm. it's true. That's yeah, why. it is. <laughs> and that's why everyone was like, oh, yes, absolutely. I knew people would appreciate that. Yeah. But speaking of luck and equating it to success, today's episode, we are talking about imposter syndrome. This is something I feel like a lot of people kind of encounter, especially in their 20s their mid-20s when they're getting older and they're getting into their career. You can experience it in your school life as well. It's something that me and Hannah have both encountered in our lives, especially when it comes to our creative fields. And we really want to talk about it today because we want to take a break from the dating episodes because we did a whole month on relationships. We kind of want to do something different. And this was something that I personally was just recently encountering this week with my art. And I really thought it'd be interesting to talk about and take 
get each other's perspective on it. If you can't seem to shake the feeling that you somehow lucked into your job or that you aren't as qualified as your coworkers, you might be struggling with an issue known as imposter syndrome. Self-doubt exists before, during, and after a completed task. An imposter might turn to procrastination not because they are lazy or incapable, but because they are avoiding a self-inflicted fear or failure. Imposters are always in conflict with themselves because although they feel motivated to work hard, that fear of being identified as a phony will always hold them back from reaching their full potential. The person with the syndrome may be more willing to sit back and do nothing as opposed to really trying for fear that they will be found out. Women are much more likely to experience the imposter syndrome. It's often described as the phenomenon of capable people being plagued by self-doubt. The syndrome entails feeling as though your success is due to accident or luck. You go throughout life having both small and large successes, but each time something good happens, you feel as though something else has orchestrated you being there. I actually found this quote from Tina Fey that, for one, Tina Fey is like one of my idols, if Mm -hmm. you don't know me, but I thought it was really interesting to hear someone who I do idolize kind of her take on it, what she encounters with it. She said, The beauty of imposter syndrome is that you go back and forth between extreme egomania and a complete feeling of, I'm a fraud, oh god, they're on to me, I'm a fraud. So you just try to ride the egomania when it comes and enjoy it, and then slide through the idea of fraud. Seriously, I've just realized that almost everyone is a fraud, and so I try not to feel bad about it. Which is so true. I feel like when you have this imposter feeling, you feel like you're a fraud, there's going to be those moments where you feel like you are the shit, like you are the best thing ever. And it's, I know I personally, those are moments I tried my best to live in because I know it's only going to last so long. I think it's probably just because your body just gets tired of living in that pessimistic area that for a second it's like, okay, we got, you know, put some dopamine into this shit and kind of boost your energy a little bit just to give you some hope to keep trying because otherwise... I feel like if you didn't get those moments that you would beat yourself out of it and you would probably get into that more depressive state when it comes to it. And I think there's so many people that do fall into that state and it gets to the point where that they no longer have the confidence to keep continuing on. And so that battle of going back and forth is what I think a lot of people, it keeps them going for sure. Yeah. What has, um, what has your experience been like with it? Like, when did you feel like you first realized you struggled with it? And what areas in your life do you feel like you have it? I think for me, I really realized like I was struggling with feeling like I wasn't good enough and feeling like I couldn't be a musician when I performed in my first live show. So far, first and only live show. <laughs> I think I was trying to explain this earlier to you, Emily, but like, I feel like when it comes to singing, I have no issue. Mm -hmm. I have no issue with singing. I've been singing my entire life since I was like three. But when it comes to songwriting and creating music that's my own, I feel like that's where the imposter syndrome kind of like takes over. And I don't feel like I am qualified enough to do it or that what I'm going to put out into the world is something that people are going to receive and enjoy. And so having that thought in the back of my mind keeps me from like, truly pursuing it like I always start projects but then for some reason it kind of either falls off or it's been years before I like actually do something where do you think that originated from like where do you think what has caused you to have that fear has there been a moment in your life before where you were judged for something that you created and you didn't feel like it was reciprocated as well as you wanted it to be I mean, I feel like, so when I was in high school, I like put out my very first single. Yes. Do you remember remember this? Yes. And I don't know. I think I just had such like 
high hopes and like Mm -hmm. so this like thought that it was like going to do so well and like so many people were going to love it. And like, of course, like my close friends and family loved it, but like, I don't know, like it just didn't, I think I just had this whole, like, I'm going to put out a single and everyone in the world is going to love it. And like, it's good. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, it's just, you think you've put so much time and effort into something and then you put it out into the world and then it just kind of is there. But you also, I feel like you need to like realizing that it was also high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. even like, even like with the two singles that are re- released as like mm-hmm. an adult, mm-hmm. like kind of the same thing. Like you put all this time and this effort into it, and you want people to hear it, and and then you put it out, and then it doesn't get the response that you thought. And so, in a way, like I know numbers aren't everything, but mm-hmm. in our world today, they are. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard to not look at the number of streams or the number of people that are listening every month or like the number of people that follow you on Spotify. It's hard to look at, not look at that and like beat yourself up for it. Mm -hmm. So I think that's like my issue is that I put like my heart and soul out there and then it's, it's received well from like people I know, Mm -hmm. but it's just not, it doesn't ever go past that. And so I feel like I don't want to put anything out out until it's perfect because once I put it out there I can't take it back mm-hmm. so if it's not received well I'm afraid people aren't going to give me like a second chance you know what I mean mm-hmm. so that's my issue and there was one that question- makes sense well, no it does <laughs> there was questions I was asking you earlier though that I want to kind of bring back which was you talked about how like you're afraid to put music out there because you don't know how well it's going to be received and what people are going to think of it but I and I asked you earlier I was like how why, how do you know that? Because you haven't put anything out to know what people like and what they would appreciate from you and what they do want to hear. So yeah. how, you, you're not going to know that until you do that. I know. That. And we were talking about our, like, we have a couple mutual friends who are musicians mm-hmm. and they, you know, they have like, like 60,000 followers and like 500,000 streams. And so like, that's encouraging, but it's also discouraging because I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm not there and I'm not going to be there for years. But you also have to think, I think one thing I try to keep in mind is that you're not on the same path as everybody else. Everybody else, you're all, it's like you're on a highway, except there's barricades between each lane and you can't judge somebody for how fast they're going in their lane because their speed limit does not apply to you. So... That's one thing that I try to keep in mind because trust me, that's something I definitely dealt with. After I graduated from undergrad, I had friends that moved to New York and one like literally got to perform on the Tonys. And I'm like, cool, I'm sitting here in my apartment working a part-time job and a boutique not doing that. And I think that's one thing I always try to remember is that you, you have to wait for your time. Yeah. But do you feel like you... Like, for the one example, like, or I know our one friend, like, this this his entire career yeah. is his music and everything. And you see how much work and effort he puts into. Do you, f- I, I don't, I'm not trying to come off critical, like, when I say this. Do you feel like when it comes to, like, when it does come to your music, that you are doing everything you possibly can no. to promote your stuff? No. And I think a lot of that is I'm trying to save, like eventually my goal is to switch careers Mm -hmm. and make it full time. But Mm -hmm. right now, financially, I just can't do that. Mm -hmm. And I know that's me. That's just me being the type A person that I am. And I need to have all my ducks in a row and I need to have all the money in the Mm -hmm. world and which is never going to happen. And so I think that's like a fear of mine is like losing 
which like I can keep up my license and like and yeah. and all of that. And so that's not the issue. I think it's just the issue of jumping. I'm afraid to jump. You're you want to be ready, but the thing is, you're never going to be ready. Mm-hmm. And I think it's something that I constantly have to keep in the forefront of my mind whenever we talk about our goals, make me and you, because I am such a huge cheerleader for all of my friends. And I am I am very much the person where I I I I don't want to have the safety net. I don't like having the plan B because if I had the plan B then I'm just gonna do that and I'm not gonna do what I wanna do. Like having no safety net is how I survive and it was what pushes me and drives me to reach my goals kind of thing. And this is something I literally was talking about to my therapist today. I see so much potential on my friends that I know that they would kill it if they just did the shit and it as somebody it, watching somebody who dealing with imposter syndrome i think is so hard it's something i, I mean i deal with that's why we're doing yeah. this episode but seeing other people deal with it when you are somebody who is a very much a cheerleader and a supportive person can be so frustrating because it's like i know like i know you would kill it if i just did it if you just did it yeah and get over this fear and get over that voice in the back of your head yeah i know th- i know you fu- you fully if you put 100% of yourself into doing music and doing live shows and you just said like screw it screw like it, i'm going to do it yeah <laughs> screw it and do it <laughs> you could you no doubt you would make it you could kill it you could do if some better probably than some of the people that we know i think well and i think something else that kind of like gave me hope and then it kind of just like stopped was when I won Samantha Harvey's like cover competition Mm -hmm. because like it was like someone big noticed me Mm -hmm. and like I've had a couple random like um, musicians like post my covers of their songs. So like I know I'm talented, which like sounds narcissistic and I don't mean it that way at all. No. But, like, I know I'm talented and I know that I have the potential. And, like, these people who are doing it have seen the potential in me and have shared that with their fans. And, like, so, like, my stuff started to, like, grow really fast. And then it just kind of stopped. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was hard. It was hard for me to watch, like, this growth happen mm-hmm. and, like, get really excited from it. And then I, like, I didn't have anything lined up. It yeah. was, like, my friend that was on The Voice Like, he was on The Voice in front of the four judges, and no, he didn't make it on the show, but he had nothing lined up for all the people that found him on the show. And so that's kind of, like, where I was mad at myself because I was like, if I had been really putting my all into my music, I could have had an EP lined up ready to go, and these new fans could have potentially been, like, lifelong fans instead of just in the moment. She was She's a good singer. Yeah. Because that's kind of what I feel like. I feel like, oh, she's a good singer. And, like, I, people just know me as, like, the girl that does covers. And, like, I don't want that. Yeah. So. But and I think one thing with that particular scenario you have to think about is how saturated the YouTube cover world is. Mm-hmm. And how people are trying to break in that way. And that I think nowadays, I, just from what I've not noticed as, some, as a consumer, I don't think people care much about covers anymore they do individual like songs like you see how this is a little something i was talking about the other day to emily best she's the ceo and founder of seed and spark which is like a the number one crowdfunding website for film yeah uh and about like distribution and marketing and finding your audience and everything like that it's so accessible for musicians nowadays and it's partially i'm jealous that i that's not my career, that mm-hmm. I'm in film instead of music, because it's all you. Like, you are your own marketing, you are your own publicist and everything like that. Like, you, 
it's all reliable. Like I, I can control everything exactly because it's me. You it's can- not like my. I mean, it is my work, but like. Yeah. It's me. I'm the face of my work. Yeah. You can literally, you have a direct line to your audience. That's one reason why I like having a podcast is that there is a direct line to our audience. There is that connection. It's easy to find your audience, market to them, figure out what they want to hear. With film, it's a whole team of people and there are gatekeepers and there are studios and distributions and producers and things like that that prevent you from getting that far to publishing your own work yeah i could make a film post it on vimeo but vimeo is not going to pay me and i have to pay back investors who are going to be investing to help me make my film like i'm not going to have a million dollars just to go make my own film i have to get money from other people and then there has to be a way to distribute it to make money off of it and so and so and so it's so much more complicated than just doing stand-up or just creating youtube content or a podcast or music or anything like that and i'm envious of people who can do that because i'm like you have everything in the palm of your hands like literally there's no one stopping you especially nowadays with spotify and yeah. how artists have but it's just like release. finding the people to help you like i can't do it myself i can't play guitar i can't play no, yeah. gu- you know what i mean so yeah, i, yeah. I kind of get where you're coming from with the whole like the money like you have to have the money to do it and yeah. unfortunately that's how it is too. Like I'm, I'm not confident enough to just release stuff because I like I feel like it wouldn't be good quality. Mm-hmm. But also, I'm holding myself back because I know people who exactly. would like help I was me. Say that. So. I was like, you know, so many people, and that was the thing the other day. We we had just talked about this. You really wanted to put out this one song and like do this music with this certain producer, but like the timing was a mess lining up because he's touring and everything. I'm like you know that he's not the only producer in this town. And you're like, there's two other studios downtown. I'm like, that those are not the only studios I in know. town. There's so many other people. And I, I, they're like, but they're the ones that do pop. And I'm like, no, they're not. How do you know that? Yeah. Like, I literally just introduced you to a band earlier that is a pop band, and they have a whole studio in their basement. I know for a fact they do. And I have a connection with that band that I could easily hook you up with. That's another thing that gets frustrated. When I know that there's a way I could help somebody yeah, and they deny my help, I'm like, I am help trying to help you. Let me help you. I also feel like it's out of my comfort zone to like Why? work with somebody that I don't know. Why? Because I just don't like I don't feel like I can explain my vision I guess. Like, I need someone who's going to be able to understand, like, what I want and what I'm hearing and what... The, the right person, I think, like, when you... It, one, you talk to them first. <laughs> have a conversation. I'm sorry. I don't have a podcast or anything. I don't know how to talk. I'm not a speech-language pathologist. Communication is not my jam. But, like, I think it, it it's trial and error. It's like finding a therapist. Like, it, you, it, you, yeah. it takes trial and error. Like, you're not going to find the person, like, right off the bat. Yeah, and it literally comes down to the fact that I think I'm a fraud. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, that's why we're doing this that's episode. Like, that's literally, like, it's that's that's why. That's why I won't do it. When I went to that one studio downtown and talked to that guy, like, that was a big step for I me. I was so proud of you. It was a big step. I mean, he just wasn't my vibe, but, like, he was really nice, but mm-hmm. it's just too, like, country folk, and I ain't about that. American <laughs> folk or whatever. That's just not me. No, it's not you. So, but yeah, you. I feel like that's my, that's, like, when I realized it. Yeah. Music. Always music. Yeah. All right. What is, tell us your, what is your experience? When was the first time that you realized that you struggle with this? I think it really hit me when I started grad school because, and specifically like with my screenwriting, because 
I've always felt confident as a writer because in undergrad, I never really struggled with it. I knew that what I was writing was good and it was entertaining because it's something that I had always wrote before. I'd always written prose and short stories and stuff like that, but I had never really done screenwriting. I mean, when I, I know for a fact that like, I'm, it's so contradictory. Like I know I'm not a fraud, but I feel like it sometimes because I mean, I got into a very prestigious film school, the grad program specifically, and I didn't, I had never wrote a screenplay or anything before. Like I had taken one screenwriting course in undergrad and I knew this is what I wanted to do, but my undergrad didn't offer it really. And I took, I had just taken one course and I wrote an entire pilot to get into school there. And I was like, well, if I can get into school and I don't know anything about screenwriting and no proper formatting yeah. other than Google, then I must be good. But looking back, I'm like, holy crap, like, why did you let me in here? Like, there's no structure. There's no ABC story. Like, what is this? And I just, I'm like, why? And I realized, like, that this is what I was, I didn't know there was a name for it until someone told me about it. But I remember my first semester, like, going to my meetings with my mentor. And I'm, all these other people, like, I remember one of my friends, like, half of the semester, he had his entire film already wrote. Like, he finished it. And oh, yeah, I remember that. I'm still struggling, like, with the first act. And I'm like, I like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, this is the worst film I've ever... Like, this film I wrote, I wrote an entire film. I was like, this is terrible. Like, this... I I don't... Who... Why am I here? And I think another reason I struggled with it was I was... The, I'm the only female yeah. in my entire screenwriting course. But that's why I think they want you. Like, you have such a strong female voice that, like... That's why they took the chance on you. Like, I'm not saying that they took a chance, but, like, they took a chance on everybody that they put in. I mean, like, you have such a strong voice. You have such a strong voice. Thank you. You're welcome. That is the number one thing I'm always told when people read my stuff is that your voice is very clear. It comes through. And so thank you. I mean, trust me. I'm not going to repeat some of the things that I said in my admittance script, the script I wrote, because they are very R-rated jokes. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> They're very sexual. I don't feel comfortable sharing yeah. them. But some of the lines, I'm like, oh, I, I that was ballsy. That was a risk. That was a risk. <laughs> that was a super risk. That was a huge risk. And then I, you know, to have those read aloud in front of your 70-year-old Oscar award-winning professor, that's another thing, too. Like, I have mentors that have Oscars, and I don't know why I think I'm not qualified sometimes when literally a a professor who is an award-winning director has an oscar is best friends like with all these amazing and talented people tells me you know you have what it takes to make it you have the drive you have the talent you have the motivation literally has met my parents gone out of his way to go to my mom's store and meet my mother oh and was like your daughter is going to be famous. She has what it takes. She yeah. has the drive. She is going to kill it in Los Angeles. And I'm just like, mm, am I though? Like, I get frustrated because all these people tell me that I have this drive. And I'm like, cool. I need a map though. I need some directions. other Because otherwise I'm just driving here. Yeah. I don't know where I'm going. And need some guidance. I just, everybody's like, you're, yeah, you have the drive. You're going to kill it in LA. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Because people always ask me like, Oh, what are you going to do when you graduate? Like, are, like you're moving to L.A. What, what are you going to do when you move to L.A.? I'm like, I I don't know. I don't know. I have I'll no idea. Figure it out when I get there. I have no idea. I know what I want. Yeah. I know that getting that is not going to be easy. Like, I would love to be a 
writer's production assistant, a showrunner's assistant, a writer's room assistant, just a regular production assistant. Those are the most coveted jobs in the television industry for writers, like just to get started. They're not going to be easy to get. So until I get that, I would need an agent, a manager. Like I know the steps it takes, but they're not easy steps. And I I think there's so many people... And I don't want to throw anybody under the bus who is in the same industry as I am. There's so many people who get a master's degree in, like, an art field, like screenwriting, for example, just because I'm going to use that. That's what I do. They pay all this money. They get a master's. And they're like, I'm not about to work in a freaking mailroom if I just paid, like, so much money. And I'm like, yeah, I get that. I completely understand that. That's valid. I agree with you. But that's not what the system's like right now. So I'm going to do that. I yeah, will take you got to work your way up I sometimes. will take a... If NBC offered me a, room, a job yes. in the mailroom... Get your foot in the door. Yeah, it's beneath me. But I'm taking that because that's a door right there that could get me to where I need to be. And I think hearing other people just... Them saying that that's not good enough for me kind of thing makes me think... Well, do I re- am I not valuing myself enough then? Yeah, like, it makes you think negatively. I, yeah, I, I I question like my worth then at that time, and I'm just like, am I am I really like? I think do I should I do better? Like, is that beneath me? Like, well, I just feel like you think about it in a more logical way, whereas they think they might just like move and get offered. A position like that that just doesn't happen. Yeah, I mean it can it can it happen can. if you're lucky. It yeah. can happen, or if you just meet the right person, you meet the right people, or you have more experience. Mm-hmm. I have literally zero film industry experience. Yeah, the experience I have is what I've learned from working on student films, or you know, doing this podcast. It's all my resume. Yeah, but stuff like that, like. I don't have this advantage. I never. I don't have film internships. I don't have all these things that other people have that could get me into those bigger doors. Yeah. And so I'm going to take those low-paying jobs so I can get into those well, doors. And learn about the industry. Yeah. Like, I will literally take anything. <laughs> give me anything. I will, I will go get your coffee. The Shonda Rhimes want coffee? I'll get it for you. Like, I don't care. I really... I mean, when I started grad school, I was going to meet my mentor and I just kept thinking like why am I here like this is one of the top film schools in the country how am I here like this script I'm writing right now it's awful my pitches are not that great I am terrible at pitching films and my idea is like I don't I'm not getting as many like I remember all my friends in class were always getting so many ideas for scripts for films for tv shows and I'm like I got three like, I would work hard, and I would have these ideas, and I'm like, I mean, yeah, that could be something, but I don't think it's going to be that great. And I would sit there as a writer, i judge myself for all the ideas that I get for different stories or things like that. And I'm like, I mean, that's been done before. That's been done before. That's mm-hmm. been done before. But I have to realize, like, no idea is original. Like, no idea is original. Yeah. Everything has been done yep. before. I Unless- relate to that so much with songwriting. Unless you're Vince Gilligan and can write, like, a high school chemistry teacher just gets cancer and decides to break bad and make meth. No one, like, has ever come up with that before. And those are one in a million ideas. And me realizing that, I am such a critic when it comes to my ideas. And I think, I know with you, you're such a perfectionist and that's your type of 
imposter. I yeah. feel like mine is more of the genius, I guess. Yeah. Where I have always writing is something that I have always been good at. And so screenwriting is something that's new to me. And I have not mastered it completely well, even though I have. Like, that's the thing. I don't think I have, but to my peers and to my mentors, I have. My professor told me one time, she was like, your action lines in the script, which is like the thing people do, Mm -hmm. um, the stage directions, basically, for theater people. She's like, for most people, this would be like the final draft version. You get it on the first draft. Like, your action lines are perfect. Like, you don't need to always go back and polish them or anything like that. I'm like... Wait, really? I thought they sucked. Like, I thought that was the thing I was the worst at. But realizing that practice is what gets me better at it. I used to hate all the dialogue I ever wrote when it came to short stories and prose. Mm-hmm. I was like, God, like, I'm terrible at dialogue. Like, let me write a paragraph about someone's inner thoughts and, like, romanticize yeah. and write beautiful sentences about how 4 a.m. knows everyone's secrets and the midnight sky is, like, the tranquil blanket to the entire universe or some bullshit like that. <laughs> let me write that for about three paragraphs. And dialogue, I'm, like, very short sentences with. And then I did screenwriting, and it pushed me to get better at things like that because that's all that's all it is it's just people talking yep and now i feel so much more confident in my dialogue and realizing that i don't have to get it right on the first try Mm -hmm. i can sometimes i do sometimes but with practice like just believing that the more i do it the better i am with it i was telling you earlier i was talking to the 34 year old guy and he plays guitar And I always tell people, like, oh, I'm so jealous. I love musicians because I'm so jealous of anybody who can play an instrument because I suck at it. Yeah. I did violin as a kid, and I was terrible at it. I was second violin, last chair. The very last chair. I got that's how bad I was. I didn't practice at it. No wonder I was bad. (laughs) Like, because I couldn't get, I I wasn't good at it. I practiced for hours. I wasn't good. And I was first chair. I wasn't good, and I was like, I'm not, Yeah. Like, there's no point, like, I'm not good at it. And a lot of it's recent because, like, a lot of the other things I'm good at, like acting, dance, singing, I started all those when I was, like, a kid. I started dancing when I was three. I got my first singing solo when I was nine. I got it was in my first play when I was eight. All those things, like, I don't remember having to practice, and... Or, like, learning. Learning. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember all those because I was so young. Mm-hmm. And I just, like, was easy. It was easy the first try. So now anytime something's not easy, I'm like, mm, no, it's just not for me. Math, no. Like, it's not it's not easy. I don't, it doesn't come to me naturally. Then, no, I'm not good at it. They're just not going to try now. Yeah. And I think screenwriting has definitely proven to me that I can get better if I keep trying. But that's where the procrastination also comes in with me. And I think that's another form of imposter syndrome. Oh yeah. I definitely deal with, I don't know what your experience is like with procrastination. I don't procrastinate. You don't? No, not at all. What's that like? What is that like to actually say you're going to do something and then do it immediately? Okay. Well, I procrastinate with my music. Yeah. But like everything, but like with everything else in my life, like I am on it. I'm just so type A. I'm so type A. I can't. What is that like? I like I make a to do list every single day. And when I cross everything off, like I am like, okay, I can go to bed. 
I literally have had this internship application on my to-do list for about three weeks now. Have I done it? No. When is it due? Next Friday. And you'll do it Thursday and it'll be fabulous. Because that's how you're wired. That's another thing. Yeah, that's that's how thing. you are wired. But that's, it pisses me off, Hannah. I know it does. Because I'm like, have you done? And you're like, no, I'll do it. It's coming. Got it. When is it due? Tonight. <laughs> when am I working on it? Mm, three hours before it's due. And then you send it to me and I'm like, what the heck? You did this in three hours? No way. Like, procrastination pushes you creatively. I don't know why. It pisses me off so much. I wish I didn't procrastinate. My therapist has given up on trying to help me fix it. She's like, I think this is just how you are. Because, granted, I have anxiety and ADHD. And those things fuel my procrastination. Because anxiety, it's the fear of being starting. Because it's going to be awful to begin with. So why even start? Mm -hmm. ADHD, it's just a full-on distraction. It's just... Yep. So... Both of those. I just don't care how heavily medicated I am. I will still procrastinate. I could. You could give me an entire year deadline. I will still procrastinate until the day before it's due. Because I wish, like, until I am punished for procrastinating, for I am rewarded every single time. It's like, well, I got away with it last time, so I'm just going to keep doing it. Like, I waited until the last minute to do that. I'm just going to keep doing it. Until, like, it, I receive punishment for it and i fail at something i'm my body's just gonna keep doing it i feel like i could still fail at it though and i probably would keep doing it probably probably <laughs> like it's it's so ingrained in me and every year i'm like i'm gonna step procrastinating and this year i was like i'm not putting that on my resolutions list no, like, I'm, no I'm gonna keep doing it yeah i yeah if, if, if there was anything i could change about myself it would be that because i feel like i would be so much more stressed like, so much less stressed. Yeah, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I would be so much more less stressed if I didn't procrastinate. I have, like, homework due tomorrow at 11... Like, no, I'm sorry, not tomorrow. Two days from now at 11 a.m. Have I done any of it? No, and you'll wake nope. up at 6 a.m. the day it's due and do it. Yep. More like 8 a.m. I wonder if we're friends. <laughs> <laughs> like, I... Oh, my God, that's the one thing I wish I didn't yeah. do, and I hate it. But so here's much. the thing about me. I know I don't procrastinate, but I'm such a perfectionist, like, especially with my paperwork for my job. Like, I put so much extra time into it that no one else does. And so I spend so much more time on it. But I still don't procrastinate. But I, it's like I can't do it quickly, if that makes sense. No, yeah. Because I'm like so, I'm like, this isn't good enough. This isn't good enough. Like if, if they audit us, this isn't good enough. They're going to think this isn't good enough. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I like put all this pressure on me. And I guess think I'm a fraud. I don't know. Like no, I don't really, really make sense. I don't really feel as much of like an imposter in my job as I do in my art. But I you do so much I'm work. So such you, a perfectionist when it comes to anything in my life. Because if you're not, then you do feel like a fraud. Yeah. Because I'm like, well, I didn't put my all into this, so it's not good. Like it's just yeah. kind of mediocre. Like it's not at the bar that I that I set for myself. I set this bar so high that it's almost unattainable sometimes like it's hard to keep up with yourself mm -hmm. oh god that sounds exhausting that's it why is. i set the bar super low myself because then you never are disappointed but i've always set the bar high like i can't even tell you how many clubs i was involved with in high school and how many times like i was president of this club and treasurer of this club and in this group and singing in this like i just like spread myself so thin mm -hmm. but I like gave a hundred percent to everything that I was in. I was I was never at home. I never hung out with friends in high school. Like I was so dedicated to the things that I was in and such a perfectionist about it. And that and it's just 
that's how I'm wired. And when I'm not doing something, I feel like I'm slacking and that like I'm not putting my all into it. And it's, I hate it. So I know that you get this way with your music. That's why you don't release anything. This is what I want you to try. Oh because this is what <laughs> my professors tell me all the time. When it comes with writing, especially with like film, like once you have a film made and once it's out there to the public, it's no longer yours. It's the world's. When you write a book, it's no, I, I could edit it to the day I, up to publishing. And once it's out there, it's no longer my, the world. But when you have, in the writing world, you have an editor or you have an agent or somebody or a manager or somebody like that. For you, a producer. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, a producer as well. But you, specifically a music producer, who you work with and you collaborate with. And that person is the one who tells you, stop. It's perfect. Stop touching it. We're putting it out there. I'm taking it from you. It's no longer in your control. It's in mine now. Trust me enough that this is good and do that. I think that's what you need to find is a creative partner who can do that who with you. Who can just take it from me. Yeah. And you, it's someone you can still trust in. It's just mm-hmm. like, okay, I see you're being, you're, you're, the perfectionist is getting there. You're I'm being not- a Demi. You're being Demi. We are not taking the vocal track <laughs> one more time. It is fine. Stop being Demi. <laughs> I am taking control from you now, and I am taking over this. And I think that's what you probably need to find. Yeah. I love collaborating with people. I mean, that's one reason why we do this podcast yeah. together. Mm-hmm. Because I'm, I'm in the world of television. It's all collaboration. You never work alone. That's, I hate writing a film because it's such a lonely process. You, you're the only, It's only you. You're the only writing it yourself. There's no one else you're collaborating with until you get a director on board. I think when you have somebody else to instill trust in, they can help you beat that imposter because... There's somebody else who believes in you and you're working together as a team and you don't feel as alone. I feel like when I'm not, when if I'm, if I'm working with somebody else, I'm more motivated mm-hmm. to get my work done. I am more, I feel like I'm not a fraud, I guess, because somebody else is, believes in me. Somebody else has faith in me to work with me. So yeah. we're together. It's not just me if we fuck up. Like if everything goes bad, it's not just my fault. Right, right. And we can share the blame kind of thing yeah. and it makes it feel better. So that's one thing I feel I want to challenge you. Okay. Well, and I, I was going to touch on this before we move on, but the guy that I've been working with, like we co-wrote a song together, like mm-hmm. it took in lyrics, it took in an idea and we wrote a song together. And after we wrote it, he was like, this is so good. Like, this is so good. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, wow, like this is good. It's really catchy. Like this is a catchy song and it's like, simple and it's very emotional and it was just so like nice to hear yeah to hear him say this is good like we just wrote something good yeah and so um i mean you see taylor swift she doesn't do it alone like if you watch the her doc yeah she has that producer and they work hand in hand Mm -hmm. that's what you need to find i think yeah i mean half the time she's just like like humming a tune and then she'll like write a few lyrics and then and then he plays something and she does like it's just so nice that collaboration piece and I think and I think that's why I really really like working with William it's because William Henson check him out on Spotify he's awesome but um like he does that with me and he takes the time to like listen to what I have to say and like I know with my mom like she owns her own business she owns a boutique and like, she didn't go to business school. She doesn't have a degree at all. Like, she didn't go to college. She just has had years of experience in retail. And I know sometimes she 
deals with this. She's like, I'm not an entrepreneur. Like, she will not call herself an entrepreneur. I'm like, you are an entrepreneur. Yeah, you started she, your own yeah. business. And you're, it's awesome. <laughs> like, you are the definition of an entrepreneur. Yeah. And whenever it comes to certain things, like, she thinks that she, like, her store is not doing well or like yeah she thinks like like no one cares like no one wants to shop with her or anything like that whenever i see me or my dad put an effort and like help her out and like give her advice and do things i know whenever there are moments i kind of take creative control sometimes and i'm like no this is i I get into visual merchandising mode yeah like i help her pick out things for the store and stuff like that I see the light bulbs turning on her head. She's like, oh, no, like, I got this. Like, this, mm-hmm. I have this and everything. Yeah. And I'm like, just stay in that zone. Like, stop worrying about things that you have zero control over. Yeah. That's one thing I think with this whole imposter syndrome thing is something you have to keep in mind is that, for me, there's so many things that I worry about that people are going to find out I'm not good at that are out of my control. Like, I, if someone thinks that I'm a fraud, so be it. Like, you can't control what other people think of you. Yeah. You have to remind yourself that you you deserve to be here. Mm-hmm. You belong here. What everybody else thinks does not matter. It's yeah. none of your business. Yeah. What anybody else thinks of you. Yeah. And I definitely, I feel like a lot of times we always say, you know, well, I got lucky. And I, I definitely said that a lot of times mm-hmm. when I got, when I was trying to apply to grad school because I did manifest it and I did say I mean I told people before I got into grad school I go to I go to UNCSA like I remember when you did that and I was like oh I hope you get in <laughs> I was like I really better get in or else I'm gonna tell a lot of people I am not in grad school I dropped out it's fine <laughs> it's fine um it wasn't for me it wasn't for me <laughs> but I am so thankful I did that because I feel like it made it feel more attainable and that's why I tell people I'm moving to LA yeah I don't mm-hmm. have an apartment yet or anything yeah but, like, it's fine I I don't have a job or anything there, but I am moving to L.A. Because the more I say it, the more attainable it sounds. Because in my head, it's something I've wanted to do since I was a little girl. Like, yeah. since I was 10 years old, I've always wanted to move to Los Angeles. And the more I say that I'm doing it, like, I get emotional about it. And I don't get emotional about anything. Yeah. But it's a dr- I know that for me, like, the minute I move in there, like, it's, it's a whole new book I am starting. It is absolutely terrifying but i know that it's gonna just so many good things are gonna come out of it because i have nothing else like i have to succeed Mm -hmm. and it just takes a lot of just believing in yourself and it's so much confidence in yourself and especially in some a place like los angeles where everybody like no one gives a shit about anybody else like it's and it, they're so in tune, tune to their own lives, everybody mm-hmm. is, that you have to be filled with that much confidence, especially in the film industry. You have to believe that you really are the shit. And so this has been an entire, long, like, year-long process I've had to deal with that to shut that imposter voice up inside of my head. Because if I let it get to me, I it, Hollywood will break me. I know that. And I feel like, too, the more you say it, the more you believe it. Yeah. So the more that you're like, I'm moving. Like, I know there's so many people who, they're like, well, I'll, I'll, I'll move to Hollywood when I'm, if, when I, once I get a film underneath me. I'll do it when I'm good enough. Yeah. Or like, when, when, stuff like that. Yeah. Little things like that. And it's like, no, like. Just do it. I'm doing it. Yeah. And, like I told you, like, you're never going to be ready. I know. And. I got to get over that. Yeah. You're never going to be ready. I just, I keep in the back of my mind that Sarah Bareilles is older than me and, like, 
you know, she's still killing it. So like, I still got time, but I'm like, but do I? I'm like, should I just do it now? uh, I think the question I ask, like, you know how you said Mm -hmm. I got lucky. I think Mm -hmm. mine is like, out of all the people that are releasing music, like, why would someone listen to mine? Like, why, like, why, why would they listen to me? Do I have anything to bring to them? Probably not. Am I original? Probably not. <laughs> That's literally the entire art. I know. <laughs> I say this about everybody at my school. We are all delusional. And to be in the arts, to be an artist, film, actress, dancer, musician, whatever, you have to be psychotic at some <laughs> point because the reality is no one actually gives a shit what you have to say. The world will keep going on if you don't ever release a song or I if know. I never make a film. It will keep going I on. Know. Yeah. But you have to be somewhat delusional to think people will actually care. Yeah. And that's everybody who's successful just is they just believe that. They're just delusional enough to believe that somebody is gonna somebody's gonna care. And and then that's just going to be a domino effect. Yeah. And everyone's going to care. And yeah. then we're all going to be Ariana Grande and it's fine. Yeah, exactly. It's fine. <laughs> but I think just, so what if they don't care? Do it anyways. Yeah. I think that's the part I need to just get over. If they don't care, they don't care. At least you tried. Yeah. At least you put yourself I won't out regret there. It. I won't regret trying. Yeah. Yeah. And no, exactly. Like I, always, like I always say, I'd rather regret something I did than something I didn't do and be stuck wondering what if. Yeah. I'd rather move to LA, give it my all, and know that I gave it my all. I'm not going to come home with my tail between my legs, not giving it my blood, sweat, and tears. If you see me come back to North Carolina, then I was probably almost homeless. Like yeah. I was probably living in my car at that point. That's the only way you will get me to come back here if, if my parents drag me back here. Like once I, I, I say like once I move, like I am not, I'm not coming back. Yeah, and I think that it's got me. It's a hunger, like, and I've always said if back when in North Carolina a couple years ago the lottery got so big that it was almost like a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. And everybody in my class always joked, like, we all got lottery tickets and everything. And we all said the first thing we would do with that money, besides paying off our student loans, was to fund our first film. And my professor made a comment. He was like, yeah, you guys would probably make one film, but that would be it. You wouldn't make another one. You don't have a hunger anymore for it. You're, you're comfortable. You, you have no need. You have nothing else to say. You are fine now. And I think it's just, you have to find the thing that you are so desperate to say and it's something that you just are so hungry for that if you don't do it and that's a you will never be happy that's one thing i always think about too um limelo miranda the man who created hamilton and in the heights he has one quote that i always remember it's if you don't write it it will die with you and that's something you will always have to live with if you don't create it no one else will and you have to live with that for the rest of your life and not creating content for me if i don't do that i would fall into a pit of depression i think for me also like i've always known that this is what i was meant to do like literally from a, like a, the age of 5 i've wanted to be in film and act and write like that's all i've ever known I've never had a drive or a want to do anything else in my life. And if I don't accomplish that, then I've, that's, I have failed. Like, 
And I refuse to get to that point in my life. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, but I think that drive is what is going to to push you to to do it. Yeah. For some people, I don't know how it is for you. Like, since you have a, like a normal career, like there's never been anything else that I've ever been I would ever be satisfied doing and not be depressed. Like I think about the, like over the summer when I wasn't making anything, I wasn't making any content. I was just working retail. Like I was so like not me and was just yeah. drained. I was like those two years between undergrad and grad school, like I hated my life because I wasn't doing what I wanted to do. And I was just like, this is, this is awful. And so knowing what that feels like and never wanting to be there ever again is what motivates me and what pushes me. And I see like what my professors say, like when they say they see that drive, it's because I refuse to settle for anything and I know what I want to do. And I, I don't know what it's like for somebody who is like, oh, no, I love this one thing. I Even though I had this passion, this is what I want to do. I also love this other thing. And I'd be happy doing that for the rest of my life, too. And I'm like, I don't know what that's like. Everybody's like, if you weren't being an actress or you weren't being a writer, what would you do? I'm like, I have no idea. I, I honestly, I can't tell you. Maybe I would design fashion. But that's okay. That's another thing that's artistic. Well, if you could not do anything artistic, what would you do? There's nothing. Like, yeah. I, it, my life is so fueled by that. And I'm so thankful that I come from an artistic family and I come from parents who are very supportive of my dreams and have always pushed me and have taught me what perseverance is. I remember one time my mom said when I was little, like I could not learn how to tie my shoes at all. And I would get so mad and my mom would just be like, just take a break. Like, it's okay. You don't have to get it right now. And apparently I looked at her and was like, no, mom, I have to persevere. (laughs) (laughs) And she said, I will never forget. Like you, that's the moment I knew you were going to like accomplish your dreams because you were so determined to tie your shoe, tie your fucking (laughs) shoe that I knew you were stubborn and you were never going to give up on things you set your mind to. And I like full on. It's one of my favorite qualities about myself. And I'm glad I'm like that. And so. That determination always battles the imposter, and it's something that I am slowly learning to shut up. Yeah. But it's a long battle. Mm-hmm. That was a very long rant I went on. I am very aware of that. <laughs> <laughs> but it was important, and you needed to say it. And I think that everyone listening can apply what we've said to so many different kinds of of dreams that they have, whether it's to yeah. become the manager in their business or start a business or you, start a podcast. If or, there is a, if there's a podcast, if you really want to start a podcast, if you really, but importantly, if you really want to start your own business, do it. Yeah. I know so many women that have their own businesses and I think that they are babes. They are badasses. Like mm-hmm. I think they're killing it. If you want anything, if you want to start a YouTube channel, you want to start a podcast, you want to release music, you want to write a fucking film, just do it. Mm -hmm. Don't wait for the right opportunity for the things to fall in line and, you know, this one person to come along. Do it now. Yeah, because the longer you sit on it, the longer it's not out there. And probably the worse it's going to get because you're just going to over-critique yourself for it. Me. You should hear how many times I re-listen to voice memos of 
songs I've written. I'm like, oh, this is crap. Oh, no. I, but then I listen to it and I'm like, wait, this could be good. And then I just go back to, oh, no, it's crap. I would love to be the person who writes every single day. And there's some people that do I that. I need to do that so badly. I would love to do it. And they're like, they're like, even if it's bad, I'm like, I sit here for hours. I'm like, first thing comes to mind, I'm going to write it. And then nothing comes to mind. For comedy, it's harder because it's easier. To, and that's why like comedy writing rooms are so different than anything else because you're sitting there together bouncing ideas off each other. And that's why I love it. Writing a film, like, or writing anything else, you're sitting there by yourself. It's like, <clears throat> I don't know. Like, and you're just like, I don't have any ideas. And mm-hmm. you feel stupid sometimes. Mm-hmm. Or you get like a one line and then you're like, where do I go? But mm-hmm. if, if I could just get one line. Yeah. If, if I go a day... And I, all I get is one line, and, but usually that line is golden, and I, I am so happy for it. But I really, it's about practice and patience, and it's something that I don't have, have? instilled. <laughs> I don't have that instilled in me. I want to be great the first time I write it. Yeah. And not have to go through the bad shit and just be perfect that first time around. So Yeah. I want to briefly mention the five different types of imposter syndrome and identify them because I know we've touched on them a little bit, but Mm -hmm. for everybody else who, if you don't know that there are five different types, what they are and how they are for everybody else. Yeah. So the first one is me, uh, the perfectionist. (laughs) These people tend to set extremely high expectations for themselves. They only meet 99% of their goals and they still feel like failures. I feel that on a daily basis. And then small mistakes that they make result in them questioning their skills and their competence and whether or not they're actually good enough. I thought I was this for a long time, but I don't think I am because I actually appreciate criticism and I appreciate when people critique my work because I know that they're only trying to make it better. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, if you're critiquing telling me that shit, like, fuck you, like, yeah, I don't, bye. one, I don't believe you, because I, I know that, but there are times when my professors, like, will give me, like, good critiques, and I'm like, oh, no, thank you, like, I'm so glad, like, you helped me with this, and, like, you're making it better because of you, so thank you, and that has just been a long-winded thing that I have, I think, just practicing, critiquing your own work, mm-hmm. and moderation. Yeah. And collaborate with somebody else, I think that will help you with yeah, that, honestly. Which I've started doing, and it has definitely helped a lot. Um, it just makes me look at my work in a different light, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the next type of imposter is at the expert. This person must know every single detail before they start a project. They're constantly trying to improve their skills. They won't apply to jobs if they don't meet every single criterion. And they might be hesitant to like ask questions or speak up. This is my mom. That is my mom to a T. She will, she has to know everything about every little detail before she does something or she starts a new thing or she applies for something. And I'm like, just try it. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't need to be a culinary expert to make this dish. Just try it. Little things like that. Even with her business, I think, too. Like, there are certain things that... These are probably the kind of people that don't like taking risks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I am very much a risk taker. I love risks. I think they're fun, uh, especially little dares, things like that. But I think if you're this kind of person, tr- just try doing a risk. Try doing something that you would never do before. Like, 
you have asthma, but you've never ran a marathon. Go run a marathon. Don't unless take you, your inhaler. Take your inhaler. <laughs> keep I have that in asthma. your keep that in your fanny pack. <laughs> but like things you're terrified of, like that. Like yeah. you're terrified to run a marathon. Go run a marathon. I dare you. I dare you to run a marathon. Start now. Maybe you can do it by <laughs> next year or the following year. But like things like that, I think for people who are experts, yeah, like do something that you would never think you would ever do in your ones. Do like the polar plunge. Things like that. I've done that. It's really, really cold. I mean, yeah, it's a polar plunge. <laughs> it's not worth it, fam. Not worth if it. If you don't like going on uh, random dates, find somebody on Tinder and don't even have a conversation with them. Just be like, hey, you want to get coffee right now? And just meet somebody random. Go talk to somebody random. Go get out from your phone and go find somebody at a coffee shop and just approach them and be like, hey. How you doing? Just thought I'd say Hey. Do you have a pencil I can borrow? <laughs> <laughs> but no, literally, if one of my favorite pickup lines I always say to people, if you're wanting to meet new people, just go up to somebody and say, hey. Like, you see somebody walking by, just say, hey. They'll stop and be like, do I know you? Like, no, but you do now. I'm Emily. Nice to meet you. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I know. And, uh, or even, I don't need a pickup line, but uh, maybe to make new friends. <laughs> yeah. Or even, like, if you just want to, like, start a conversation with somebody, if, like, say, like, you're at a coffee shop or like the library or something like that, you ask somebody to watch your stuff like, and you go to the bathroom or vice versa, someone asks you to watch your stuff. Think of something creative to say when you get back. That's a good way to introduce, like it breaks that little barrier like that or like ask for somebody for an iPhone charger, something like that. Mm-hmm. That kind of breaks that communication barrier and it gets you out of your comfort zone and you take that risk. Yeah, I love that. The next type of imposter is the natural genius. Me. Me. <laughs> Me. These people think that if there is struggle or the need to work hard, they think that they aren't good enough. They're used to all these different kind of skills coming easy. And when effort must be put into a task, their brain tells them that they are imposters. Yeah. 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 There are so many things I always want to learn. Like, I would love to learn how to do computer coding. Mm-hmm. But that seems hard, and, like, I wouldn't be naturally easy at that. Yeah. So I'm just not going to even start. But it's there's things like that that I've always wanted to try and learn. Maybe, you know, for you, these kind of people, I would try taking on a new task and just stick with it. Like, keep track of your progression. Like, it's been, you know, like how they do in factories, like, 90 mm-hmm. days without an injury? Yeah. <laughs> Like, you tally marks how many days you go trying, and you'll see the progress. And don't think of it like, oh, it's been 30 days, and I still don't know how to make a freaking Mac. Like, (laughs) you know, it's fine. (laughs) When you realistically put people's goals out there like that, like, I think of how long it it took, like, Tina Fey to get to where she's at, or Sandra Bullock, how long it took them to get to where they're at. When you visualize and see someone's path out there, I think that realistically shows, like, these goals are obtainable, but they're not attainable quickly. That is going to take time. It's going to take effort to get to these things. It's going to take practice. And I think seeing other people's, like, routines and those kind of things really is helpful and beneficial Mm -hmm. in those ways. Yes. All right. The next type is the soloist. These people have to accomplish everything alone, and if they need help, then they think that they are a fraud. I've never had experience with no, this. No, I love help. And me too. <laughs> I'm not On afraid. some things. I'm not afraid to ask for help. Yeah. 
I ask for help on who I ask so many questions. I'm such a question oh, yeah. person I, because I would rather just ask it than try and do it and look like an idiot because yeah. I didn't ask. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it also comes from me, like my, what I do requires so much collaboration mm-hmm. that I love helping people and I love when people help me and I'm not afraid to ask for people to help me. Yeah. Now, when it comes to like mundane things, like directions mm-hmm. or how to cook something <laughs> that's where i don't like to ask for help but that's a completely different subject that's just my ego all right and then the last type of imposter syndrome is the supermen or the superwomen these people push themselves to work harder just to prove that they aren't imposters they must succeed in all aspects of life work relationships as parents and then these people feel stressed if they don't accomplish something. That sounds so exhausting. Mm-hmm. Like you can't be good at everything. No, and I'm. You gotta let you gotta slack that. somewhere or in all of the places. God. So that's the thing, though. Like if you, I feel like if you push yourself that hard, you're not you're not exceeding in anything. You're just being moderate at everything. And when you put that pressure on yourself, like you're just being average. Mm-hmm. You're not. The th- areas that you really are good at, you're not giving them as much attention because you're trying to fulfill the other things in your life that you are not being satisfied with being just okay at. Like, I think that's where you just need to find balance in your life. I don't know how you go about doing that other than, like, yeah, therapy and meditation. But realizing that, like, not everybody's relationship is perfect. Not everybody's a great parent. Not everybody's, you know, find the thing that you love the most. Like, if you love being a mom, but and but you know that you are not, like, the best at your job, be happy with being okay at your mom. At least you're killing it as a mother. Mm-hmm. Like, be okay with being moderate at your job. At least you're good at it. Like, you don't have to be the best. Like that's, Yeah. Unless you are, like, I don't know, a doctor, probably be better. Um, yeah, but maybe like, if you're, like, prodding and probing. Find the areas <laughs> in your life that you are great at. Yeah. Cherish those. Reward yourself, I think, for those things. And be okay with not being perfect at everything. You don't have to be. I feel like I might dabble in this a little bit. Like, feeling the need to be perfect in all areas of like my life. Like, even your relationship? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, not, like, not because I... Just like that's just how I think that's that ties in that perfection ism. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I have to succeed in my work, in my relationships, in my friendships, in the podcast, in the music, and like I spread. Like I said, I spread myself really thin, and oh, I've no. done that since yeah. high school. And so I think that's. I think I might like slightly be on this this as well as the perfectionist one. Oh no, I'm totally chill with being shitty at my like retail job. Like I know I'm not the best sales associate there and I'm totally fine with that. Like I don't feel the need to be the best yeah. there. I also know that I'm you, you know like I'm an average girlfriend. Like I'm not going to be the best girlfriend you've ever had, but at least I'll look pretty next to you. Um and that's all that matters <laughs> to me. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. You should be okay with my average ability to bring to this relationship. Yes, true. <laughs> but I feel like there are different things that cause the imposter syndrome. And I want to briefly touch on these. I think a lot of it, like, for me, it they come from internalized beliefs from, like, your childhood experiences. So for me, being naturally gifted at a lot of artistic things, I think uh, for you, you were able to sing really easily as mm-hmm. a child. And so you were always awarded for that. And then trying to branch out and do your own thing with it is kind of scary for yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's also, for me, 
a lack of representation online and offline. I am the only female screenwriter in my entire course, so that is hard for me because I don't have other females with me sometimes. Yeah. But seeing more female creators come out with ideas that are similar to mine, like Phoebe Waller-Bridge creating Fleabag, was so heartwarming to me because I'm like, this, this is the content I create. Thank you for, like, me not thinking, like, my ideas are shit. Like, yeah, like, setting the path for exactly. for us to come on to. Exactly. Yeah. There's the fear of being ordinary and average, which I get that. I refuse to be average. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, why would you want I know, to I know. in when you're born to stand out? It, like... <laughs> Look at you with the quote. That is a quote from Camp Rock. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure. Isn't that from, like, Camp Rock? Yes. <laughs> Doesn't Joe say that? Someone <laughs> says that in Camp Rock. And I have we a poster. We need to look this up. I have a poster of it I on there. That. Demi Lovato has signed it herself. Oh. Yes. What? <laughs> There's also only seen the curated lives of others. Especially with social media nowadays, this is so relevant because you only see people's highlight reel. You never see them struggling. You never see all the things they had to do to to get to where they are. I have a friend right now who is in Hollywood and he is trying to be a screenwriter and he just met like one of the creators. This is us. And you could just look at that and say, oh, he graduated from grad school and now he might potentially be working on This Is Us. Like, you know, things like that. Yeah, there was a whole year where he was struggling in L.A. that no one else saw, and that's not going to go on his Wikipedia page one day. Right, Those yeah. are things that you have to think about, that not everybody was an overnight success. You Rarely do you ever hear of that. Yeah, and years you, and years go into it. Yeah, and, like, the only time you ever hear of it is, like, I think I have this one girl on YouTube, Joanna Cydia. Oh, yeah. Who got, like, a million followers, like, in one like week. A, yeah. That there... That is pure luck. Yes. You are never going to be that. I'm sorry. That is a once in a million thing. Justin Bieber blowing up on the internet like that. Shawn Mendes on Vine. Once in a lifetime kind of things. You're not that person. Nope. That's okay. Yep. We're the Taylor Swifts of... uh, Literally. (laughs) She literally put blood, sweat, and tears into getting to where she is. And we never saw any of that. Yep. Until, like, her doc. doc. But, like, that's the thing. People don't post their struggles on Instagram. They only post the highlight reel. So you have to kind of take away the mask and Mm -hmm. realize that. That's why I love Twitter, because the mask is definitely taken away. (laughs) And then there's also, last and finally, like, people who have low self-worth and the loud inner bully. This is something that I struggled with all through high school with it came to my acting. And it really just took that chance of somebody else believing in me for me to raise my self-worth and it just took practice as well too and seeing my growth within that practice I think having a growth mindset is such a great way to beat the imposter syndrome this is something that my professors kind of preach to me and I really want to share with you guys I don't know if you've ever heard of the growth versus fixed mindset have you no I haven't so basically a fixed mindset is Assumes our character, intelligence, and creative ability are static, and which it can't be changed in any meaningful way. doesn't matter how much practice you try, you're never going to be better than what you are given right now. And success is just the affirmation of that inherent intelligence. Striving for success and avoiding failure at all costs become a way of maintaining the sense of being smart or skilled. So you doesn't matter how much work you put into it, you're just going to be as good as you are now, and... 
if you fail, then you fail. There's no way you can learn from that failure. It's just, you fail, that's it. Mm. A growth mindset, on the other hand, thrives on challenge and sees failure not as an evidence of unintelligence, but as a heartening springboard for growth and for stretching our existing abilities. This is something that I definitely feel like I've always had because I have, I like, now I've never had to suffer any consequences, I will say this. In a school setting, which is the only time I've ever failed, I like failing because, not like grade-wise. Yeah, yeah. Obviously. Yeah, that sucks. (laughs) (laughs) But like, when it comes to creative choices that I make and they're not reciprocated as well, those kind of things, or just pushing myself because at least I tried. I see that that wasn't the path I was supposed to take, and it usually will lead you to the path, the correct path. Mm-hmm. Looking at failures as lessons instead of failures is such a mind-opening thing, and that's what the growth mindset is. Yeah. It's just take, finding what the lesson is. Like, you told me after my relationship I had with uh, the doctor was... Okay, yeah, that happened, but what did you learn from that relationship? And I actually, I sat down, I thought, well, I learned how to be vulnerable with somebody. I learned that I could love again after being heartbroken. Things like that, taking learning lessons from each of those moments and realizing that you're not a failure. Like, you you garnered something out of this. Out of these two mindsets, which we can manifest at a very early age in our life, encompass a great deal of our behavior, our relationships with success and failure in both professional and personal context, and ultimately our happiness. I think that once you get to that growth mindset and realize that you can be better when you put effort, you put in patience, you put in practice, you do all these things, and you just look at a failure as not a closed door, just the wrong door. Mm-hmm. It's not the only door. There's other options. It's just... Sometimes you have to fail in order to find them. And so I think our survival tip for this episode is when that critical voice in your brain starts up again, don't let it go unchallenged. Notice when you're hardest on yourself and argue back. You'll soon find that not only does the voice get quieter over time, but you'll feel more assured of your abilities because you are reminding yourself of them the whole time. And so that does it for this episode of The Gals Guide. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at The Gals Guide Pod. Also like us on Facebook at The Gals Guide and become a Gal Scout in our Facebook community. You can also hit us up on our website, thegalsguidepod.com, and on our personal social media, which will be linked in the description of this episode. Also, please leave us five stars on iTunes and leave us a great review. It really does help us out, guys, when you do that, and we read all of them, we promise. So thanks for listening, gals, and we hope you come back for our next journey. Bye.